If you've been here during the month of January, you've heard a lot of voices speaking in our time together, different people sharing stories of how God has moved in their life this past year, different leaders and pastors, and we're going to kind of continue with that theme of hearing from multiple people this morning, and I want to introduce my dear friend, uh, and in many ways a mentor for a long time, Nigel Probert, uh, has been a pastor for almost 30 years, retired pastor now, but I met Nigel about 20 years ago. And we were in this pastor, it's called pastoral growth group, but in this pastor's group together where more often than not, we would end up gravitating toward each other during the prayer time. And so I have had many years to get to know his heart, his love for God, his love for people. Uh, And I'm very excited for you to hear from him today. A little, little known fact, though, that I have to share is what got him to America, he moved here from the UK on a basketball scholarship. So you can... You can see um, sort of that oh. maybe a little bit. Yeah. Do you still got it, Nigel? No. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Well, uh, if you just join me, uh, Nigel and Pauline are here, and they have uh, four kids, 12 grandkids, but if you just uh, join me in welcoming Nigel as he comes to share God's word with us. Thank you. Thank you, Micah. Yep. Well, thank you, Micah. Yeah, I would try to get with Micah uh, in our pastoral growth groups because I just loved uh, his spirit, his heart, and that's how we ended up when we, we, we just returned back to Missoula. My wife, Pauline, is from Missoula. Uh, we have uh, some of our family here today, which we're, we're very honored to see the family here today, too. Uh, but uh, I, re- reti- I think I'm retired, uh, and I, I, at least I got my Social Security coming. Uh, but that was last April, and we, we started coming up on the hill here. We just loved the spirit here. We, we, we loved how the, what the ministry is about here and all the outreaches that the ministry has into the community. And also, I needed some time uh, to rest. Uh, Polly and I had served 10 churches in six different states over 28 years. And we just went from church to church with, with, with very little break because there was no income between breaks, to be honest with you. And, uh, but when I got here, to, just to tell you the truth, I was just absolutely exhausted. And I needed to be refreshed spiritually, and I found that here. And that's why we're, we're here. Now, I didn't fill out one of those cards, you know, yet, but just to let you know, even if you don't fill them out, you could end up, you know, <laughs> getting involved. And, um, but just to tell you a little bit about us, to maybe paint a little picture of what Pauline and I have been doing over 28 years, I served as, my title was like intentional uh, transitional pastor. What was that about? It was going to a church that, that uh, was either divided or where the, the pastor had formally resigned or, or awkwardly or uh, there was division, people were leaving. And so I was, we were called in there to try to bring healing to the congregation, specifically into the leadership, and then get their focus back where it should be. Because a lot of times when you're in conflict, you get your focus on each other. And you know, like, the, like James says about, you want your own desires, and it causes fights and quarrels. And so I found that, uh, that uh, the goal was to try to get people back to the focus on Christ and what he's done. And then from there, of course, when we see Jesus in each other, it helps us to love each other a little differently. And 
<clears throat> so as, as that intentional interim, and, and then the point was to be there uh, until they called their next pastor. And sometimes to be there on the same day that he arrived and pass the baton, so to speak, just like a, mar- like a, a relay runner. Um, so that's what we've been doing for the last 28 years. I, I ended up in that really by accident because God just has, has had a way of giving me a sense of his heart for his people who are going through some of the most difficult seasons of, of church life. And there is a scripture in Matthew 9:36 that says this, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. So those are the situation we went into. The very first thing that we tried to do, a lot, of, a lot of it, Paulie and I would do it together, or I would certainly do it on my own. And many times, up in the morning early, sometimes coming home at 11 o'clock at night, I was trying to get into everybody's homes that I could. That not only included the leadership, but included congregational members. And, and just getting to know them and asking them questions. Now what I learned was, the first question to ask was, tell me about your spiritual journey. Because what I found sometimes is people, uh, people lovely people, wonderful people, will come into church, but they had never committed their lives to Christ. And so here they, here, here they are going to church, and then there's conflict, and then they're trying to deal, it, deal with that conflict without him. Well, that, as you know, anybody here that knows Christ knows that you need Christ in those kind of situations. And so then was opportunity then to lead those people to a relationship with Christ. Now that's exciting. The other thing, the other question was, I might ask the person, if they say, well, no, I, I've, I've, I've come to know Christ. Well, when did you get baptized? Oh, well, I, my mom baptized me when I was a baby. No, but what about when you were a believer? I've never done that. And I remember one church out in eastern Pennsylvania, uh, they had a baptismal tank in the back of the stage under a cover. And we opened up that cover and there was mud in there and grime in there. They hadn't used it for years. And there were, seven, I think, 17 people, all ages, that had been attending the church, believers in Christ, and never been baptized as believers. Now that was an exciting day. So those are some of the things we did. So I would go into a home and I'd, I, I'd, what I was trying to do was, with them, when they told me their stories, it was like as if they were painting a picture in my mind about who they were. So that I could best then try to fit myself into that picture and help them as God's servant, as a shepherd, like a, we call pastors shepherds. Yeah, we're an under-shepherd for the Lord. And some of the stories that I heard just blew me away. We went past the church conflict on a Sunday morning and got into the people's lives where they were at. Things that they, w- they weren't sharing at church. It was like, go to church, have worship, maybe have a meet and greet, go home, and then there's these problems. Never brought to the church. And I don't know if you can hear it. I don't know if, you, I'm sure you heard it this morning. Donnie up here announcing it. And it's announced every Sunday. We want to be a church that gets beyond just having worship. We want to get to know one another. And you can get to know one another even in five minutes and then introduce yourselves afterwards. 
but find out what's going on. I can remember being in one home. This was a widow. Margaret, her name was. Uh, the church had actually put a metal roof on her, uh, on her house. All volunteered, all done. But I'm in there trying to learn her story and then asking her, you know, how you're involved in the church. She wasn't a leader. She was a congregational member, but she loved Christ. And then, uh, I don't know if you've been in some homes, each home's different, but there were just pictures all over the walls of their family, grandchildren. She had great-grandchildren. But then there was one that caught my eye. It was a, woman, a woman, picture of a woman, young woman, blonde hair, just absolutely gorgeous. I said, Who, who's that? She said, that's my, that's my daughter. Well, tell me about her. Well, um, it was a few years ago, she said. <clears throat> she got up at six o'clock in the morning and she was going to Pittsburgh to take some horses in a horse trailer. And as she left early in the morning, she went, ran down to a four-way stop and looked and nothing come in, nothing, you know, and she pulled out. And next thing she knew, she got sideswiped and she was instantly killed. Are we talking about church conflict? Or are we going to say, tell me more? How did you, how have you got through that? And then I hear that. And she tells me about her love for Christ. And then I looked along the wall and there was a picture of grandchildren. I said, oh, look, tell me about, oh, she said, um, well, this one here when he was, uh, I think six years old, was on the back of the tractor with his dad. And his, in his, in his dad had a, a, a brush thing that, that bite, you know, chews up weeds, a brush hog, if you've ever used a brush hog. And my grandson was on the back of the tractor and fell off the tractor under the brush hog and was just mangled. I'm like, it stops you in your tracks. I mean, and there is this intentional interim pastor, but I got a soul that has gone through just a tough time. And how do I minister to her in her struggles? You know, sometimes I've met, I've seen sicknesses and death and losses and tragic accidents like that. And addictions, people struggling with addictions, never shared, never shared, but it's too ashamed to share it. And some people were closed off. They've closed off from their family. They might be living in their home, but they're estranged. Some of the folks I, I met, they felt estranged in their own church. I think some of it is because of the ability to share and the freedom that if I share something about my life that is absolutely despicable, now you don't have to go into all the details, but just to be able to reach out and say, I'm broken and I need prayer. Well, what you need is Christ. And as a church, we're like ambassadors for him, reaching him, uh, reaching them. He is speaking through us to them. And so that was a little bit of a picture of what we were doing. And uh, God, uh, I know, has used us in that regard. And so here I am this morning. And uh, we're going to look at a picture that Jesus paints in the form of a parable in the scriptures. But before we look at that, I, I just want to, anytime I should say, anytime I encounter God's word, I always ask myself, where's Jesus? Where am I in this picture? 
before I read the scriptures. You know, where do I, where do I fit? How do I fit in here? And so before I go to read God's word, I want you to think about reading it and hearing it. I think it's important to ask each of you to ask, where am I in this picture? Where am I in this picture? But before I read the passage, I want to take the time, I want you to look at a painting. Because uh, as I started even thinking about coming here today, <clears throat> I, w- I was just drawn to this painting by Rembrandt. And I see in that painting, there's Christ on the cross, obviously, right? But right at the bottom of the cross, painted in a blue mark, is Rembrandt himself. That's Rembrandt. And what, what, what drew me to that was just imagining him as a painter, as an artist, taking the time to think through, what did Jesus really do? He went to the cross, yes. And they hung him on the cross, yes. And they crucified him, hand, nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And how long did it take him to paint the blood? How long did it take him to, to paint the nails? And look at his, look at his, look at his face. And it's like, I am participating. The reason he was crucified, because of my sin. But he went there willingly. For the joy set before him, he endured this cross. Now draw out a little, come out a little bit, look at the whole thing. Off to the left, it looks like they're the religious leaders, we're not sure. And off to the right, is that the, the, the women with, with John? I look in, and, and then there's other people in there pushing the cross up. And then there's an interesting gentleman right there, right there with the turban on. Why don't we zoom in on him? That, believe it or not, is Rembrandt as well. But you notice how he's looking out at us? He's not looking at the cross. He's like, he's looking at us. Now, we don't know Rembrandt did this in 1633. So we don't know what he was thinking when he painted this. But for me, when I look at scripture, I try to think, How is this scripture painting a picture of him in my heart and where do I fit? So I want to read Luke 15. But before I uh, start, I want you to ask yourself, where are you in this picture? Where are you in the picture of the scripture I'm going to read in Luke 15, and I'm gonna take the time to read the whole thing, so if you have a Bible, I'm gonna use a New Living Translation. If you don't, close your eyes, if you don't, or if you have your phone, but if you don't, close your eyes, try to put yourself, where are you, in this picture? Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such despicable people, even eating with them. So Jesus uses this illustration, he tells a parable. If you had 100 sheep and one of them strayed away and was lost in the wilderness, wouldn't you leave the 99 others to go and search for the lost one until you found it? And then you would joyfully carry it home on your shoulders. And when you arrived, you would call together your friends and neighbors to rejoice with you because your lost sheep was found. In the same way, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than over, the, over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. 
Or suppose a woman has 10 valuable silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and look in every corner of the house and sweep every nook and cranny until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her because she has found a lost coin. Now, he says again here, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents, like Rembrandt at the cross, like me and maybe you. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and took a trip to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. And about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. So he persuaded a local farmer to hire him to feed pigs. And the boy became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, hey, at home even the hired men have food enough to spare, and here I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand, hired man. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no, long, no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill that calf we have been fattening in the pen. We must celebrate with a feast, for this son of mine was dead and, now, and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Well, now, meanwhile, the oldest son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants, hey, what's going on? Your brother's back, he was told. And your father's killed the calf we were fattening and has prepared a great feast. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Well, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've worked hard for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you had never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the finest calf we have. His father said to him, look, dear son, you and I are very close and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day. Your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that as we continue on and just look at this together, that Lord, you would move by your spirit in this congregation and online and help people to see themselves in the picture that's just been painted, where they are, and then where you are. And I pray that they would see how much you love them, and that you gave your life for them. 
And I pray that we could grab a hold and get a hold of that kind of spirit within us as we look at those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, right before Luke 15, he's, the, the last line of, of Luke, Luke 14 was, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what did you hear while I read? It's interesting that it was a question by these religious leaders that sparked Jesus to tell this parable to us. In, Ma- in, in Matthew chapter nine, a similar situation occurred and a similar question came up and Jesus answered them there back in Matthew nine. He says, when Jesus heard that, like he eats, he welcomes sinners and tax collectors. Look at him, he's, he's, he's with his scum. This is how Jesus answered them. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Boy, I, I, I got into that study this week on that and burying myself in that and picturing myself in that. That's another message. But the point being that while these religious leaders were always questioning Jesus and, and criticizing him for welcoming people that were lost and sinners and tax collectors, Jesus was trying to make a point. That's why I came. I came that they might have life and have it to the full. And even in that context, I wonder if, if the religious leaders were convicted Like, you know, I'm not perfect, even though they were claiming to be. I don't know that, we don't know that, it wasn't mentioned. But I I wanna just say that when when this passage was studied in the past, and with the old fathers, they call it, they never looked at this as three parables. They didn't look at, well, there's the parable of the lost son, the parable of the lost coin. They looked at it as one parable with three movements in it. And three movements of where the lost sheep, it was the shepherd, the son of God, Jesus going after the sheep. The lost coin was likened to be like the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, which is the word of God, penetrating dark places. No matter where you hide, God can be there. Whether you go to the highest high or the lowest low, Jesus can enter that through the Holy Spirit. And then they looked at the third one like the Father, the Heavenly Father. He is so patient, he will wait. And the key, the key for us in that, as we understand this, is to have discernment. Because we're, we're, all, we're all lost, first of all, until we come to Christ, but then once we come to Christ, the goal is to see others come to Christ. We've heard it here, Mac, go make disciples, or as you're going, make disciples. Well, that makes me nervous. Not when you grab a hold of that cross and get up off your feet from that cross and take the message of what you've, what's just been dealt with you, it becomes easier. Still nervous because we're dealing with souls, but we have to have discernment. Is this a sheep that's just wandered off? Can you imagine sheep, bah, bah, you know, and it just walks off and gets lost? Or is it, is it like a sheep that you know, we're, we're, talked, we're, we're told we're sheep. We're like sheep. And I liken that to 
Maybe when things happen or we're struggling with certain things, we go hide in dark places. You know, in the home now, we might find one of our children. Where are they? Oh, they're up in the bedroom, like forever. What are they doing on the computer? What's going, what's going on there? How do you get into that? You know, and deal with that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Is this what God's telling me? Lord, I need to know. Because I will drop everything and clear everything out and I'll go look for the lost sheep if it's a lost sheep. No, this is one you need to pray for and ask the Holy Spirit to break in in the dark place because the darkness cannot dispel the light. Or is it a lost sheep? I mean, a a lost son that just said, I'm gonna go my own way and I don't care. And God's leading you. And the hardest thing to do as a parent or as a friend is to stand and say, I gotta wait. Wait. Like the Bible says in Ephesians, do everything you can to stand and then stand. After he's told you to put on the full armor of God and stand and keep praying for that loved one that refuses to change. Well, to help us understand this a little bit, I want to tell you a story about some friends of mine. And, I, and, and I've, I've got permission to share this. This is Jeff and Brenda. I met them about 10 years ago in, in uh, Eastern Pennsylvania. And we got reconnected. And then they moved and we moved. But we stayed in touch for 10 years. Well, we got disconnected for a while, but we've basically been 10 years. And that now every two weeks, I have a FaceTime with them for half an hour. That's a half an hour of discipleship. That's a half an hour of, that, that I, they pray for me and I pray for them. And we look at the scripture and I'm always asking God for a scripture. Anyway, this is a little bit of story about Jeff and Brenda. They have two boys. One of them, Justin, just has struggled for years. Um, he was a good kid, Jeff. I just talked to Jeff Thursday just to clarify all this with him. And I hope, Jeff, if he's watching that I get this right in the right order. But his job, his first job out of high school, he was influenced by the wrong crowd. Outgoing, you know, charismatic, good kid, hardworking, gets in the wrong crowd. And uh, over the years that I've known Jeff and Brenda, it's been one difficult decision after another, one difficult thing after another. They have paid tens, Jeff told me, tens and tens of thousands of dollars for a total of three rehabs. So I've walked with them through this. Uh, so the first, they found themselves bailing him out of financial disasters. You know, mom and dad, I need some money. I'm gonna help you, I'll send you. Now we can just sell people money, right? And, uh, but it came to a point where they made what was the most difficult decision and, and cut him off financially. That's hard. And uh, Justin, uh, Justin, eventually Justin asked if he could come live with his mom and dad. So he brought him home to live with them. And he promised to clean his act up. Uh, at that point, he'd lost his driver's license. He couldn't drive. So Brenda would drive him back and forth to work. And so he's living at home. And then a year ago on New Year's Eve, a year ago, Jeff picked up Justin from his job. And on the way home, Justin was complaining that he was he was having a hard time keeping his eyes open. He was feeling very sleepy. Now oh, it's late at night, it's New Year's Eve. 
But as Jeff started backing in his garage at home, he noticed Justin's head went against the side window and he was out. And Jeff got out of the car and he opened up the door and he tried to rouse Justin, he, he was out of it. His lips were going black. He picked him up, he said he was like a rag doll. He hauled him into the house, his finger, the end of his fingers were starting to turn black. He called 911. They walked him through CPR and uh, they took 20 minutes to get there. They finally got there, they gave him a Narcan shot and then they took him off to the hospital. When they got to the hospital, they said to, they said to Jeff and Brenda, we don't know what he took, but it was fatal. But he's alive. It's a miracle. So the most frustrating thing for Jeff and Brenda is they couldn't get any information on Justin's care because he was over 18. But here they are spending all the money. Maybe somebody here is in that situation. And... Um, Eventually, uh, I believe after this incident, by the way, I think, I think uh, uh, Justin got out of, out of the hospital and moved away and went on his own. And in about April 2023, Brenda, you know, mother's heart, couldn't get a hold of him. Uh, they went looking, she went looking for him and found him living in an old shed the back of somebody's yard. Um, didn't have a job, he was a mess. Now it made me think about this when she brought him home and they, and, and they said, we gotta work, we gotta, we, we're gonna bring him home but we're gonna make some rules. You're gonna have to get a job and you're gonna, you know, you're gonna have to come to church with us on a Sunday morning. And he agreed to it and he came home. Anyway, I was, I was thinking about this mo this morning and thinking about the picture of, of, of the scene of when I read uh, Luke 15 and talking about sheep. Uh, sometimes when a sheep gets lost, when it wanders off, it gets what, it, they get what they call a cast sheep. I don't know if you know what a cast sheep is, but I think I got a picture, yeah, there it is. There's a cast sheep. When I first looked at that, I wanted to chuckle because it looks funny, you know, on your back. But you know what, that's not funny. And when a sheep is cast, that means they're either pregnant and, and they, they, they're very heavy and they wobble over and once they go on their back, they cannot get up. And, and the only way they get up is some, if someone helps them. Now that can happen sometimes when they, their coat, get, their fool uh, gets wet, soaked down, it gets heavy and they flip over. Now here in Missoula, we have 15 inches of rain average, right? Where I grew up over in North Wales, they have like 55 to 65 inches of rain. You imagine there's a lot of cast sheep. And we have, we have a, we can, you can Google North Wales instructions when you find a cast sheep. Well, Jeff and Brenda felt like cast sheep. They had many moments feeling like cast sheep. And I'm praying, I'm believing that my two weeks, every two weeks was a time to help pick them up, to help get them on their feet and to help them keep on working through with Justin. Now Justin himself was like a cast sheep. And when Brenda went and met him and found him in that shed, she helps him up, makes the promises. So he comes home. And um, 
Following the third, third rehab, he comes home. He goes to rehab first. But they said there's going to be these house rules. So he did get a job because he's gifted. He's a good worker. He stayed clean. But then they started getting notices in the mail. Criminal charges. Some he thought he dealt with. Some he was hiding from what I understand. And these charges, some of them were felony charges. And Jeff and Brenda again, what are we gonna do with our son? Well, he's, he's been clean and he's got a good job. And, he, and he's we're able to work out of the house so he doesn't need a car to drive. And so they, be, they hired a lawyer and they went to the courthouse with him. And this has just happened just this last October, I believe it was. And Jeff went with him and stood up for him, stood by his son and pleaded with the judge, can you be lenient and give a lower bond? Well, that judge did do a lower bond, but also turned the felony charges into misdemeanors. And when, when Jeff stood in that courthouse and told the judge what the rules were, he has to keep, have a job and he has to come to church with us. Jeff said the, church, the, the courthouse was like packed because everybody's there getting, you know, coming to get, do, deal with their crimes. And there was like an undergirded chuckle. Like he's, they, they're telling him he has to go to church. Well, the judge lowered, he did that, and then when they went to the bondsman, the bondsman told Jeff, I've been working with this judge for years, and he doesn't do that. He's one of the hardest judges. But because you stood up there, it made a difference to him. And I think sometimes as parents, it's hard. I said to Jeff, how did you do? He said, I had to take a stand. And then I stood with my son there, because I saw that what he was doing. And Interestingly enough, when they were driving home from Tennessee, back home after this court appearance, Justin got a phone call from his boss. And he got a promotion, and he got a raise. Now this is, this, this is what we want to hear. Now all this time, it was hard for Jeff and Brenda. But they, their picture of that cross, of what Christ has done for them, is helping them work with how they've worked with Justin and love him. The Bible says, I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. That's what the Bible promises. Now, maybe sometimes, maybe there's somebody here this morning they feel like a cast sheep now, one good thing in some ways that when you come like this as a guest, I don't know your situation. But God does. And his Holy Spirit has been speaking to some of you today, whispering to you. What's he whispering to you? Do you see him as a father that's calling you to himself? As a God who loves you and has been patient with you? And when you run to him, just like the, when the son ran back to the father, how the father ran out and met him and kissed him on his neck. Do you know what that really means, what he did? And if you were able to understand it, it's like he smothered him with kisses. And that reminds me of Pauline, my, my beautiful wife over there. Now we're grand and granddad. 
when she goes to see the grandchildren. And now they're getting older. So when you get a boy, you know, grandson that's like 12, 13, and she runs up to him and grabs their cheeks, and she rubs their cheeks, and, and she just smothers them with kisses. And they're looking like they don't quite know how to receive it. You know, they love it, but they, you know, like, hey, mom, a grand, grand, you know. And, uh, but that's what the father did, and that's what the father does to us. And do you notice in that passage, when we read it, I hope you did, in Luke 15, not one example of when the coin was found, the son came home, or the sheep was found, was there anyone saying, you naughty sheep, what did you do wandering off? You tell me all the details about it. What have you been hiding? As soon as they turned, as soon as they repent, the Bible says they were, there was joy in heaven. Joy in heaven when one repented. So maybe you're here today and you got some news maybe this week that cast you over, cast you down, and you need to know that Jesus is the same today, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Can I ask the worship team to come? Same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. He's the same Jesus as he was back when, when Rembrandt painted and when he walked this earth. I don't know what it is. In the first service, I didn't mention this, but I have permission to share this. We as a family, this week, had some news that cast us all down. We all became cast down sheep. My mother-in-law over here, she's 90 years old. We have her over for a meal on Wednesday night. She came in, she said, as she walked in, you see mom when she walks out, she's smarter than a whip. But she walked in, we knew something was going on. She said, you need to, can, we sit, can you sit down? Let's sit down in here, I've got something to tell you. So of course, Whoa, what's going on mom? So we sat down. And she said, I just got a call from Pat. Pat's sitting back. Where's Pat? There he is, back there. That's my brother-in-law, Pauline's youngest brother. Pat has been working down in Durango. He's worked all over the world. He is a smart guy, like his mom and like his dad. And mom says he's, been in, he's in the Durango hospital and they just diagnosed him with pancreatic cancer that's gone to his liver. Now I want to tell you, it, we became cast sheep in that moment. And the only way up really is through him. To know that there's a father that waits for us to run to him and that know that Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for those that are sick, those that need a physician. Sometimes it's spiritual, sometimes it's physical. But God has so many promises in the Bible and I'm sure there's testimonies in here that people need to hear how God showed up in your life to help people like us as a family that are cast down. That God lift us up. Thank you for the worship today. And I ask Pat permission, could I pray for him as a church?
And he said, yes. Well, he said, in Pat's humor, surprise me. <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, you're a God who delivers us from all places. On that cloudy and dark day, you will seek us when we're lost. You'll bring us back when we've been driven away. But Lord, I'm praying as a family and for anyone in here that needs to hear this and to be part of this, to bind up our broken hearts and strengthen what, we, what is sick right now. I pray for us as a church that we would envision that cross with Jesus dying on the cross, but knowing that we can live beyond the cross, that there's a life in heaven. I guess, worship team, I need to just say these words from that, if I can find them from that one song. Forgive me as I look for it. This is from Paul Bliss wonderful man that wrote so many songs, wrote, wrote music for so many songs. Look unto me, he writes, and be ye saved. I heard the just one say, and as by faith on him I gazed, my burden rolled away. I've passed across the Calvary. I'm on the heaven side. The world is crucified to me since Christ my ransom died. Oh yeah, the world is crucified to me since Christ my ransom died. A.B. Simpson said, I'm living on the Canaan side of the cross. We're all prone to wonder and we all know and we know when, to, when we feel it. But we pray that God will take us and fetter us to that cross, to his truth, to his grace, to his love. I pray that as we worship him, that there'll be people running to the Father and they will be, can I do it? Go for it. Smothered with kisses. <laughs> <laughs>